Amen. All right, well, we're there in Job chapter number 29. And of course, on Wednesday nights, we've been walking through the book of Job, one chapter a week, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we find ourselves in chapter 25, and we're, excuse me, chapter 29, and we're in the midst of Job's concluding argument. Uh, if you remember, Job has been in this conversation going back and forth with his three friends so far, Eliphaz and Bildad. And Job is, they're done with their arguments, and he's giving his final argument in chapter 29, chapter 30, chapter 31. After that, we'll have a new guy speak, and then God speaks. Uh, Job says a few things at the end, but this is really the end of Job's uh, talk and his conclusion. And we still have three chapters left in that. In chapter 29, what Job does is that he is reminiscing about how things used to be and how great things were. We'll notice in chapter 30 that he laments how terrible things are now. And we'll look at that uh, next week. But in verse 1 here, the Bible says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said... Now, notice the past tense wording um, of Job. He says, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. He talks about the fact that he's remembering how things used to be. And it's only been a few months, according to Job 29.2, that these things have happened to Job and that his life has been completely turned around. Notice the emphasis on the time frame, verse 3, he says, when, when his candle shined upon my head. He's talking about the months past, as in the days when God preserved me. He says, when his candle shined upon my head. He says, and when by his light I walked through darkness. He says in verse 4, as I was in the days of my youth. Notice again the emphasis, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. And what Job is going to do for us is he's going to uh, reminisce a little bit. He's going he's to talk about how things used to be and the successes of, uh, of Job. And what he does, though, as he's doing that, Job kind of declares for us, or maybe I should say reveals for us, some secrets to his success. He talks about his success, and then he gives us some secrets to his success. In fact, he mentions it here in verse 4 again. If you notice, he says, as I was in the days of my youth, he's talking about how things used to be. He says, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle. See, Job understood some secrets, and he got those secrets from God. He understood some things that helped him to be successful. And in this chapter in which he's reminiscing and talking about the, how it used to be, he does reveal for us. He tells us some of those secrets to his success. In verse 5, he says, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me. And I want to preach to you tonight about Job's uh, secrets to success. And we're going to divide this chapter into two sections. The first section, we're going to just hear Job talk about his success. And then we'll finish up with pointing out some of the secrets that he has uh, to his success. And I want to say this by, by way of introduction. Uh, obviously, all scriptures are given by inspiration of God. It's, uh, it's all good for anyone and everyone. Anytime you open up the Bible, it's good for everyone. Uh, but tonight especially is good for the men. Job is giving us, in my opinion, here in Job 29, 
This is like the male equivalent of Proverbs 31 for ladies. And Proverbs 31 is obviously known as the virtuous woman chapter, the chapter where you just get this description of what a godly, virtuous woman is. Well, Job does that for us in, in, in regards to men in this chapter. He kind of gives us the Proverbs 31 for men in Job 29, where he really describes to us what a godly, uh, uh, a good man uh, is. So especially if you're a man tonight, I want you to pay attention, especially you young men. You ought to take some notes. You ought to write some things down tonight, and you ought to uh, pay attention when we get to the secrets to his success. But before we get there, let's talk about Job's success. What exactly was Job's successes? Well, first of all, we notice uh, a reference to Job's riches. Notice verse number six. He says, when I washed my steps. Now, remember, he's talking about the past, months past, when his candle shined upon me, when his light, by his light, I walked through. He says, as I was in the days of my youth, He says when, how things used to be. And in that success story, there's a reference to his riches. The fact that Job was a very successful uh, uh, man. Verse 6, he says, When I washed my steps with butter, and the rock poured out my rivers, uh, poured out rivers of oil. Now, if you remember... In verse 1, the Bible says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, This is poetic uh, wording. So this is not literal. Job is uh, uh, being a little sarcastic here, but he's making, uh, the, the term would be hyperbole, but he's making a point. He says, you know, I used to be so successful that I washed my steps with butter. He said, and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. And of course, butter and oil uh, is, is, uh, are luxuries, not necessities. Uh, butter and oil, even in our day, are not necessarily uh, a necessity. When you talk to people that are struggling financially, and sometimes we try to help people that are struggling financially, try to help them budget and help them get a plan for, for their finances, you know, usually we talk about beans and rice, you know, we talk about buying uh, things that, that, that just kind of the essentials to get you through. But, but butter and oil is more of a, of a luxury, and especially, and, and, and maybe not so much in our day, but especially in the ancient world in which uh, Job lived, people didn't just have butter. People didn't just have oil. These were, this was more of a lavish thing. They were luxuries that he had. And Job is making the point that he had so much of it that he, he said he washed his steps with butter. He said they, they would, they would clean the floor with butter in my house. That's how well off we were doing. He says, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil. And of course, there's a reference here to the fact that Job was a very successful man. He was a very, uh, <clears throat> Wealthy man. Go keep your place there in Job chapter 29. Go back to Job chapter 1 if you would. And if you remember, God highlighted this for us when we first were introduced to Job. Job chapter number 1 and verse number 3. Job chapter 1 and verse 3. Job 1 3, the Bible says this His substance, referring to Job, his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. I mean, Job was the richest, most successful uh, man in his area. He was the greatest of all the men of the East. We know, of course, that he had seven sons. We know that he had three daughters. But he also had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 
500 asses. And of course, this is all uh, 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 wealth that he had. This was his investments in the things that he owned. And Job was a very uh, successful man. And we see that through his riches. Now, go with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 23. You're there in Job. You're just going to go over Psalms and into the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 23. And let me just say this. You know, you always have to be careful when you preach about the successes of Job and men like Isaac and Jacob and Solomon. Because sometimes people get the wrong idea. You know, the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. And therefore, uh, our goal should never be to uh, just heap up as much wealth and as much money uh, as possible. The Bible strictly teaches against that. However, we need to understand that the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. In fact, there's nothing wrong with being rich, and there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There is something wrong with having a desire to be rich and wealthy. In Proverbs chapter 23, and, and for some reason, I don't know why, this is just such a difficult thing for people to grasp. You know, you, you, you tell people, the love is the root of all evil, and then they think you're preaching that everybody needs to be poor. Hey, sometimes God blesses people. Sometimes God blesses their work and blesses their efforts and blesses their business. And you know what? There's nothing in the world wrong with that. If you, as a man, say, I'm going to get up every day, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to work hard, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to steal, I'm going to walk in integrity, I'm going to do right, I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to just you know, work, uh, work like God designed for me to work, and then God blesses you, and, and, and he pours out his blessings upon you, there's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with you getting up every day and saying, I'm going to go become a millionaire. You know, my desire is I won't be happy unless I'm a millionaire, unless I, you know, own a mansion, or unless I own a yacht, or whatever. The, the, the problem in the Christian life, it's not necessarily about what you have, it's about what you want. It's about your heart. Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says this, labor not. Now notice, all throughout the Bible, God tells us to labor, especially men. God tells men to work. Amen. The Bible says, don't be like the sluggard. Don't be like the sloth. He says, work and work hard. He says, it's good for, for a young man to, to, to labor and to work and to sweat. God is always, labor is always a positive thing in the Bible, except for when the labor is motivated by covetousness. He says, labor not to be rich. No, he didn't say don't labor. He says, you go labor, you go work, but don't labor to be rich. He says, cease from thine own wisdom. Go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. You say, why does he tell us to labor not to be rich and to cease from our own wisdom? Because your wisdom, look, human wisdom, there's no new thing under the sun. Human wisdom tells all of us, I just need more money. If I had more money, everything would be better. If I had more money, everything would be fine. If I had more money, I wouldn't have this pressure. Let me tell you something. If that's what you think, you'll never have enough money. Contentment does not happen based off the things you need around you. Contentment is something that God gives you in your heart, the peace that passes all understanding. God says, yes, labor, but don't labor with the desire to be rich. Proverbs 28, look at verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. Isn't that Job? Job abounded with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. See, when you decide, why does the Bible say, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Here's why. When you make money your goal, the Bible says that you will sin. You will, uh, uh, you will be corrupted by it. 
you will err from the faith. He says, he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Look, in our life, and, and again, I'm preaching to men primarily because this is what the, the, the chapter is directed at, but for men, we need to realize our goal should be to work hard, to provide for our families, and to serve the Lord, but our goal should not be money. In your life, the goal should not be money. In your life, the goal should be God. God is the goal of your life. God is the goal of a godly Christian man. And when you make God your goal, then he might entrust you with riches. When you make God your goal, then he might bless you like Job. And nothing in the world wrong with that as long as it's not what you are pursuing, what you're chasing after, what you're giving your time and your energy and your life. You say, well, what should I give my time and energy and life to? God, to your wife, to your children, to the things that are of eternal value. Proverbs 28, look at verse 21. To have respect of persons is not good. When you start valuing money, you'll start valuing people with money. And we'll notice, we'll we'll go back to Job and see that this was not who Job was. For for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. He that hasteth to be rich hath an evil eye. Mark it down. Mark it down. Anybody that tells you, I have a desire to be rich. I remember uh, a guy in our church that was three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, all those things. He looked me in the eye and he said, Pastor, I am going to be a millionaire. And I just marked it in my head. This guy is going to be out of church soon. And he was. Because he that hasted to be rich hath an evil eye. You said, no, no, that won't happen to me. Hey, you're not smarter than God, friend. You're, you're, not, you're not more disciplined than God. If God says that your desire is to be rich, you will have an evil eye. You will not be innocent. You will, he says, for those reasons, labor not to be rich, and consider not that poverty shall come upon him. See, the Bible says, you say, well, what's the problem? The problem's wealth and things, nothing wrong with things. It, there's nothing wrong with you having things as long as those things don't have you. But we see that Job was a very successful man. We see that he was a very rich man. He was a very wealthy man, but he was not a covetous man. He was not someone who woke up every day with just this goal, this desire to just have money and make more money. His, Job's desire was God. Now, he worked hard every day. He got up early every day, and he worked hard, and he loved God, and he loved his family, and God blessed him. God blessed him with these uh, uh, these riches, but I would submit to you tonight, and maybe you haven't noticed this, and maybe I haven't done a good job at pointing it out to you, but I want you to notice that as you go through the book of Job, and you see Job lamenting, the number one thing you see Job lamenting or complaining about, maybe you've noticed it, or maybe when I say it to you, you'll be like, yeah, that's true. The number one thing you keep hearing Job complain about is the fact that he feels that God does not hear him. That he feels that God has left him, that God no longer speaks to him, that God is not interested in him. You hear Job complain, number one, the, his biggest complaint is that his, he feels that his relationship with God must be her or there must be something wrong with it because God is punishing him and punishing him uh, without him doing any of these sins. Then you also hear Job complain about uh, his, uh, his, his uh, human relationships. 
You hear him complain about his children. You hear him complain about his wife. You hear him complain about his friends. He does a lot of complaining about his friends and how they're, you know, miserable physicians. They're, they're physicians of no value. They're, not, they're miserable comforters and they're, they're not helping him. And they're not. So here's what you hear Job complain about. His relationship with God and his relationship with men. You know what you don't hear Job about? Complain one time, one time in this whole book. You won't see Job complain about the fact that he lost his house or his camels, or his riches. He never brings it up. It's almost like he doesn't care. You say, well, why is that? Here's why it is. When God gave it to him, he didn't want it. He wanted God. And when he loses it all, he laments that he feels like he's lost God. So we see, you say, what what does a godly rich man look like? Here's what a godly rich man looks like. You can take all of his money within months, and he'll never mention it. Never complain about it. Never even care about it. Never bring it up. And Joe's been talking a lot. I mean, we've had chapter after chapter after chapter. I'm kind of getting tired of the fact that these guys, you know, these conversations are, 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 are lasting so long, you know. It's, it's like their version of Facebook or whatever. It's just, you know, uh, uh, a statement after statement and comment after comment. But search the book of Job, and you don't see him lamenting his wealth. He brings up the fact that he had wealth, but he doesn't care about it. So we see Job's success. What was it? His riches. I want you to notice, secondly, not only do we see Job's uh, uh, riches. Keep your finger there in Proverbs. We're going to be going back and forth between the book of Proverbs and Job uh, tonight. But go, go back to Job 29. You see the riches. And by the way, even in the riches, you got one verse, one mention of his riches. One mention of the fact that he had so much butter he could wash the floors with it. He had so much oil coming out of a rock that he could bathe in it. Then Job speaks about respect. And I'm not preaching about marriage tonight, but let me just say this. You see, you, we're going to watch Job spend several verses talking about the respect he got. Ladies, let me help you out. Your, any man's love language is respect. As much as you want to feel loved, men want to feel respected. You say, well, I don't think that's right. Well, you know what? God, that's how God made them. That's how God made men. That's how God made us. Men value respect. And, so, and you know, in your uh, marriage, you would do well to help your husband feel respected and reverence, which is what the Bible says. And they, of course, should uh, make you feel loved uh, and, and have a sacrificial love and a selfless love. But here we see Job begin to break down this idea of respect. And he talks about how much respect he used to have. Now, the reason that he really highlights this is because in the next chapter, he's going to talk to us about how little respect he's getting. You know, how much he's fallen from grace, so to speak. But he talks about the respect that he has. Notice verse 7. He says, when I went out to the gate. Now the gates in these cities would be where the, the business of the city would take place. If you remember, Joe, uh, uh, the Bible tells us that, um, that, in, that in, in the book of Ruth, that when Ruth had to be negotiated, that that situation was done out in, uh, in, the, in the gate. So if you remember, Lot, he held a place in the gate. This is a place where the leaders met. This is where the big dogs met. This is where all the important people went out to do business. Notice what Job says in verse 7. He says, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat, in the street. He said, when I would go to the marketplace, when I would go to the place of business, when I would go to where all the 
political leaders, the business leaders, the religious leaders, all, all, all the leaders, the big dogs, anybody that meant anything. I would go out there, and you know what? I would have prepared my seat in the street. He said, I didn't just go there, and I was part of that group. He said, I had a seat there. And the idea is that when Job showed up, he held a position of authority. The seat is a reference to a place where he would sit to give judgment, a place where he would sit to be a man of authority. He highlights it later on in the chapter. If you look down at verse 25, notice what he says in verse 25. He says, I chose out their way, referring to the fact that he judged people and helped with the judgment of people. I chose out their way, notice, and sat chief as dwelt excuse me, and dwelt as a king in the army as one that comforteth the mourner. So he says in verse 7, I prepared my seat in the street. What do you mean by that, Job? Verse 25, he says, and sat chief, and dwelt as a king in the army. Job says, I had a position of authority. I would come in and sit down and people would look to me and ask questions. People would have these conversations and they would all give their thoughts and their debates. Decisions would have to be made and opposing sides would give their arguments and then when it was all said and done, Job would say, they would all look at me for a decision to be made, for a choice to be made. Job said, when I would show up, he said, I held a position of authority. Then he says this in verse 8, well, uh, the young men saw me and hid themselves. Job would say, when I showed up, I held a position of authority, but you know what? When I showed up, the young men would get out of my way. He said, the young men saw me and hid themselves. It was this thing where when Job walked in, it was like, Mr. Job is here. How you doing, Mr. Job? And they were just kind of, and all the young men, they were all scattered out of the way. They hid themselves from him. Now, this is important because in the next chapter, Job's going to talk to us about how the young men are being very disrespectful to him. But he says, the young men, when uh, the, the, the young men saw me and hid themselves, not only that, notice the last part of verse 8, and the aged arose and stood up. Job says, when I showed up, I held a position of authority. He says, when, when Job showed up, the young men got out of his way. And when Job showed up, even the old men showed him respect. The aged arose and stood up. Now, let, let me explain something to you. The Bible teaches that young men should rise up for older men. The Bible teaches, and you, every young man listening to me right now, all the kids, all the boys, listen to me. The Bible says that when an older man approaches you or begins to speak to you, the appropriate thing for you to do is to stand up. If you're sitting and an older man walks up and, and goes to shake your hand, you don't, him a, you know, or whatever. You stand up. You look him in the eye. You greet him. You shake his hand firmly. You, uh, that's the proper thing. The Bible teaches that young men are to stand up when uh, older men uh, arise. The aged men do not have to arise for the younger men. But Job was such a big deal, and we're not sure exactly how old Job was. I don't think he was that old, because at the end of the book, we're told that he lives for a long time after this. Job was such a respected man, he was such a big deal, that when he showed up, the young men hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. What that means is, men who by their age... And their credibility and their authority, 
did not have to stand up to show Job respect. They chose to stand up and show Job respect. That's how well respected Job was. He was very respected. When he showed up, he held a position of authority. When Job showed up, the young men got of his way. When Job showed up, even the old men showed him respect. And of course, we saw there in Job chapter 1 that he was the greatest of the men in the East. Notice, when Job spoke, others listened. Look at verse 9. The princes refrained talking. Now, the princes is not the, is not the kids. A prince is a political leader. People with some authority. But when Job showed up and Job began to talk, the princes refrained talking and laid their hands on their mouth. The nobles, again, the term noble is in reference to someone with some authority. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the root of their mouth. You know, when Job spoke, others listened. In fact, when Job began to talk, other people shut up. When Job began to talk, other people's conversations ended. Everybody wanted to hear what Job had to say. The princes refrained talking and laid their hands on their mouth. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the tongue of, uh, uh, to the roof of their mouth. Go down to verse 21. He talks about this a little more in verse 21 and 22. He says, Unto me men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. People waited to see what Job was going to say. Verse 22, after my word, they spake not again. He said, and when I gave my, my opinion, the conversation was over. I mean, do you see that? He says they refrained, they laid their hands on their mouth, they held their peace and their tongue. He says, to me, men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my counsel. If there was a situation going on and people weren't sure what was the right thing to do, before they started giving their opinions, they would wait to hear, what does Job have to say about this? And when Job would speak, verse 22, after my words, they spake not again. And my speech dropped upon them. When Job gave his opinion, when Job gave his decree, when Job would speak, people would listen. And when he would speak, the conversation was done. Job had spoken. This was a very well-respected man. He would show up and he got respect. When Job spoke, others listened. Look at verse 11. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. You know, when Job showed up, his presence mattered. It was a big deal. It, it, Job was the type of guy, he walked into a meeting, people were like, hey, Job's here. When the ear heard me, Job might be walking in and somebody greets him and say, how you doing, Mr. Job? And he said, I'm doing well. How are you? And people would hear his voice. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. They'd look at him and they would greet him and they would bless him. When the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. When Job showed up, his presence mattered. Job is explaining to us a little bit about his success. And if all the men in this room were honest, we would all say that honestly... Just like every woman would, would want to read that Proverbs 31 uh, passage and say, that's how uh, the type of lady that I would like to be. You know, every man, honestly, should have a desire to be a Job. To be somebody that people respect. To be somebody that, that the Lord blesses financially, but is not covetous and desiring finances. 
to be someone that people respect, someone that when you speak, it carries some weight with it. When you talk, the conversation's over. When you give your opinion, in fact, people wait to hear your opinion so that they, uh, uh, because they trust you, because they trust your judgment and your discernment. This was the type of man that Job was. And by the way, let me just say this, guys. Part of having your words have weight and matter has to do with not having your words out there all the time. You know, the Lord has given Verity Baptist Church a little bit of influence. And every once in a while, I might step into, like on Sunday night, and and preach some sermon or give some comment about some drama. And the Lord has given our church some influence in the sense that sometimes when when we speak here at Verity, uh, people listen. And I'm thankful for that. But I believe that part of the reason for that is that I'm not just on Facebook every day just spewing all my thoughts about every little thing. Sometimes when you're, see, see Job, I don't think Job was this loudmouth just involved in everything, doing everything. He's a busy man. He was running businesses. He had things to do. He was working hard. But you know what? When Job felt the need to weigh in on a situation, people listened. They respected his opinion. They gave ear. And in fact, Job would say, after my words... They speak not again. We see Job's riches, and we see Job's respect. Why don't you notice, thirdly, we see Job's rest. Look at verse 18. Then I said, Job Job said, a few months ago, if you would have asked me, how's my life going to end? How are things going to turn out? He said, here's what I would have told you. Then I said, I shall die in my nest. What does that mean? Job would have said, I I think I'm probably going to die comfortably. I'm going to live a comfortable life. I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. Job says, if you had asked me a few months ago, Job, how do you think your life's going to end? I would have said to you, Job is speaking, I would have said to you, I I think I'm going to have a long life, and I shall multiply my days, and a very comfortable life. I shall die in my nest. He said, in fact, I I just kind of believed that I was going to build this nest and this kingdom around me, and eventually I would die a very comfortable and very old death. Now, in the next chapter, Job's going to tell us about how none of that came to fruition. He's going to die, he thinks he's going to die a very lonely death, a very painful death, a very miserable death. In the next chapter, he talks to us about that. But here, he's reminiscing. He's reminiscing about the how things used to be. And when Job is talking about the fact that he wishes he could go back and wishes he could be that way, I think every man would look at that and say, yeah, I wish my life was like that too. I wish that uh, people respected me. I wish that people trusted me. I wish that when I spoke, uh, it it mattered and people wanted to hear my opinion. I I wish that I had a long day and that I built up a nice nest and and I want God to bless my business and my job and my career uh, and, 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 and have all these things that Job had. So Job speaks to us about his success. In verse 12, Job begins to speak to us about his secrets. And really, they're the secrets to success. And one thing that I do want to point out to you, and and like I said, I'm primarily preaching to the the men tonight. If you go back to Job chapter 1, let me just say this. Job was a businessman. Every man, every man in this room should, should want... Job 29 to be said about them. 
I mean, you should want to get to the end of your life and have your grandchildren say, when my grandpa spoke, people listened. When my dad weighed in on a situation, people gave, they stopped talking. They gave him attention. They wanted to know what his thoughts were. He was respected. He was successful. He was uh, in rest. Let me tell you something, men. Job got there, uh, and he's going to give us some secrets. But one thing that I want to highlight just uh, right off the bat is that Job didn't get there by sleeping in every night, every day, every morning. Job didn't get there by staying up till 3 in the morning on YouTube every night and uh, rolling out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning. Job was a hardworking man. Job chapter 1 and verse 5. And by the way, he also didn't get there by getting up early to go to work. Job got there by getting up early to do his devotional time before he went to work. They proved that from the Bible. Job chapter 1 verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feastings were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them. Referring to his children. His children were having a party the night before. And what, did Job, what does Job do? And notice, rose up early in the morning. Now, why did Job raise up early in the morning? Oh, because he's got to get out there and make the dollar. He's got to make some money. I mean, he's a wealthy man. He, he does that by getting up early to go to work. No, Job, I'm sure, went to work, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. You know what Job got up early in the morning? To pray for his kids. To spend time with God. To spend some devotional time. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And here's the key. Here's the key. Thus did Job continually. Now, what does that mean? That means that Job got up early every day and read his Bible before he went to work. He got up early every day and spent time in prayer before he went to work. Maybe that's a secret to success that you're missing, sir. I want people to respect me. Well, nobody's going to respect you while you're running your mouth on Facebook till 5 in the morning every day, and then you can't get up for church or soul winning or work or whatever. Hey, God created men to work. God created men to labor. God created men to get up. Job, Job was a man that worked hard. He took his career seriously, but you know what? He took his Christianity seriously. Job describes for us his secrets to success, and one of the secrets was the fact that he was a hard worker. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't a sloth. And he was serious about his walk with God. But I want you to notice what Job highlights for us in this chapter. Look at Job 29 and verse 12. There's really two secrets to success that we see, and then there's a foundation to those secrets that we'll see in the conclusion. The first one is we see Job's people skills. Job's people skills. You know that you can't have people respect you when they don't like you? You know that you can't have people want to hear what you have to say when every time you speak, you're a jerk? You're mean? You're a bully? Now, there's times to fight. I'm, in fact, I'm going to show you that in this very chapter. But I want you to notice that Job had very good people skills. He cared about people. Notice, Job helped the helpless. Look at verse 12. He says, because. Now, because is the answer to the, to the question, how? Right? Because Job is telling us, I, I was rich, I was respected, I was everything that a man would want to be. 
And people listening would be thinking, how did you do it, Job? Job, write a book and tell us so we can read it and we can reproduce it. And Job says, we're writing it. It's called the book of Job. Hey, Job, how did you do it? He says, here's how I did it. Here's how it came about. Here's why it happened. He says, because. Here's why. I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. The blessings of him that was ready to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. You know what Job did? He helped people that could not help him. When every time you do something for something is because you're trying to get something out of them. I'm going to do something for you, but hopefully I'll get a sale out of it. I'll get a contract out of it. I'll get... See, that's not the type of person that Job was. Job, Job just helped people just to help people. In fact, he would purposely help people that could not do anything for him. He delivered the poor that cried, the fatherless. Him that had none to help him. He said the blessings of him that was ready to pay. He helped people that were ready to die. A dying man can't help you. He caused the widow's heart. The widow and the orphan were the most uh, uh, poor uh, uh, sector of society. And he would uh, cause the widow's heart to sing for joy. Look at verse 15. I was eyes to the blind. And feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. Paul said, Job said, I help people that needed help. And by the way, today, go to Luke, if you would, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Obviously, there's a physical application to this, but there's a very spiritual application to this. Let me ask you, who did Jesus spend his mo- the most time around in the Gospels? I mean, who did people criticize him for being around? The poor, the sinners. Now, did Jesus have rich converts? Of course he did. Did he, did he, did he have converts like Nicodemus? Did he have converts like jo, uh, Joseph of Arimathea? Did he have, uh, the Bible tells us, uh, 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 women that had connections that, 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 that financed his ministry and he had people that were giving and supporting? Yes, he did. But who did Jesus spend his time with? Luke 5.31, and Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole, Luke 5.31, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let me say something to you soul winners. You say, I'd sure like to have a convert come to church someday. I'd sure like to have a convert get in that baptistry and get baptized one day. Well, you know, you could have a convert come to church someday and get baptized someday. But, you know, in order to get a convert come to, come to church someday, you might have to go pick them up. Well, I, I, I just want to get somebody saved and, and have them show up and be three to thrive and soul winning and get baptized and, and, and not cause me any work. And that's why you're not a Job. You don't think it was work for Job? You don't think it was hard work for Job to help people, to love people, to be there for people? Matthew 9, 36, if you go back from Luke past Mark into Matthew, Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. 
Then say thee unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. There are people out there who just need help. Say, so, well, what did Job do? Well, go back to Job 29. Look at verse 15. This is where it becomes inconvenient. I was eyes to the blind. That's more than just throwing money at something. That's filling a need. The blind needed someone to help them see. So I had eyes, Job would say. And I was very busy, Job would say. I was a very successful businessman. But you know, I took the time to be the eyes to the blind. And the feet was I to the lame. I was a father to the poor. The poor that did not have a father. The orphan that did not have a father. He said, I stepped in and I played that role. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. Job says, I spent time with people. I sacrificed. Look, I'm just telling you, because when you read the beginning of the chapter, every man, every man says, oh man, I'd like that. I'd like to be respected like that. I'd like to walk into a room and everybody just stop talking and say, what do you think, brother so-and-so? What do you think, pastor? And you say, well, how do I become that, Job? How did you become it? He said, well, I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was father to the poor. I investigated and I searched things out that I didn't know and I, I, I helped people that could help me back. I'm just telling you, there's some people out there that need some help. You say, how did Job become the man he was? Well, his people skills were that he helped the helpless. Notice verse 14. Not only did Job help the helpless, but I'd like you to notice, secondly, Job lived with integrity. Look at verse 14. He says, I put on righteousness. Righteousness, the first part of the word says right. This is doing right in your life. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. Judgment there has to do with discernment, has to do with the decisions he made. Job says, I put on righteousness. He said, my judgment was as a robe. You want to know why people may not respect you? Maybe because they see you cutting corners. Maybe because they see you being lazy. Maybe because they see you lying. Maybe because they see you uh, not being a man of integrity. Proverbs uh, 11.3, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright shall guide them, but the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. You say, how did Job become this great man? Well, first of all, he helped people that could not help him back. And secondly, he lived with integrity. He put on righteousness. He said, it clothed me. My judgment was a robe and a diadem. He said, he said people put on nice clothes to impress people, right? Isn't that how it works? You put on a robe to impress somebody. You put on clothes to impress somebody. That's what some, some of you look down on people who shop at a thrift store because they didn't buy it at Neiman Markets or whatever. And, and, and that's the whole point. You impress people with the clothes you put on. You impress people with the jewelry you put on. But Job says, my clothing was righteousness. My, my judgment was my robe. My judgment was my diadem. Job saying, people didn't respect me because I walked in with a nice suit. People respect me because they trusted the man that wore the suit. So that's why I had the respect. Job lived with integrity. 
I want you to notice, thirdly, Job fought the wicked. It's not all sunshine and roses. You can't, look, you can't, I said this on, on Sunday night, people who love everyone love no one. People who are friends of everyone are friends of no one. These liberals, I just love everybody. You love one person, yourself. Notice Job was a very loving man, helping all sorts of people, living in integrity. But notice, you, people say, well, you fundamental Baptist, you new IFP, you guys are so angry and you're so mean. Job 29, 17, and I break the jaw of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Look, you can't love everyone. Sometimes if you love people, if you love your friends, you'll defend them against those hurting your friends. You, and by the way, this is integrity. That's what integrity is. Integrity doesn't say, well, I'm just going to sit here and speak out of both sides of my mouth and try to get as many people to like me and, 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 and have as much, you know, as many friends and as much gain as possible. Job said, no, there were some people, they didn't like me very much. I break the jaw of the wicked, he said. And pluck the spoil out of his teeth. See, we see Job's secret to success, one of it was his personal people skills. Job helped the helpless, he lived with integrity, he fought the wicked. I want you to notice a second thing. A second secret to success that we see in this chapter is not only do we see Job's people skills, but we see Job's parenting. I can notice verse 5 again, Job 29, verse 5. When the Almighty was yet with me, Every, every parent in this room, especially you dads, you need to underline this phrase. In fact, I might develop an entire Father's Day sermon just from this phrase. When my children were about me. When my children were about me. The word about means to surround. If you know the military term about face, it means to turn around. In the Bible, you might see... Uh, military terms of, 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 uh, of soldiers being about. It means that they surrounded. The Bible tells us, here Job tells us, when my children were about me, when my children surrounded me. Go back to Job 1, if you would. We're almost done. I got 10 minutes. We'll, we'll be done. Job 1, look at verse 2. I want you to notice something inter- interesting about Job's kids. Job 1 and verse 2, the Bible says this, And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. So that is, this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Notice verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses. Notice Job's, Job has adult children. You say, how do you know they're adults? Well, they have their own houses. They're not in his home. His sons went and feasted in their houses, everyone his day. People have different thoughts about what that means. Some people think it has to do with birthdays. I tend to agree with that. But his sons had these houses, and everyone on his day, probably referring to like a birthday, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Something interesting about Job's family is that Job's grown children wanted to spend time with each other even when they didn't have to. He said, what does that mean? That means that they must have had a really good childhood. 
You know, when, when, when siblings, and I'm not trying to beat up on you if this is your situation or whatever, I, I'm really not trying to beat up on you, but I'm trying to help some of you parents out. When adult siblings grow up and they don't ever want to see each other and have nothing to do with each other, something probably went drastically wrong in that raising of those children. And I'm not pu- putting blame on, on any one. It, it may have been the dad, may have been the mom, may have been other circumstances, may have been the kids. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you something went wrong. Our goal as parents should be that when we're done telling our children what to do, we can still have influence over them as adults, even though they don't have to. That they'll still want to spend time with us. They'll still want to spend time with their siblings. They'll still want to spend time with their family. And we understand sometimes people move away. People move from ministries and things like that. And I'm not saying uh, that, that, that there's not reasons for that. What I'm saying is this, that Job must have done something very right to have siblings that wanted to spend time with each other as adults, that wanted to spend time with each other as grown people. And I believe that Job gives us a key, an insight to that success of parenting. Again, in verse 5, Job 29, 5, when the Almighty was yet with me, he says, when my children were about me. Job... Job's reminiscing about the good old days. You know what he remembers? He says, I remember my kids surrounded me. When they were around me. When they spent time with me. When I spent time with them. Let me tell you something. I don't, I don't think Job was this rich, successful man that just worked 18 hours a day and never saw his kids and was dropping off his kids at a daycare somewhere and just didn't spend time with his family. I don't think you see that in, in, in Job. He was, the type of dad, he was the type of dad to spend time with his kids. And look, let me tell you something. When it comes to raising children, we must discipline them. We must disciple them in the things of God. But we must develop relationships with them as well. We must spend time with our children. My wife and I have six kids. We're not even close to raising our kids. And the Bible talks about the fact that you should, you know, take heed lest you fall and, and I'm not going to pretend like we're the greatest parents because the jury is still out. We're trying to do our best. But, you know, something I've learned as my kids have gotten older, and I'm just trying to help some of you parents out. Something I've learned as our kids, something that my wife and I have learned as our kids have gotten older, is that when it comes to your children, when it comes to your younger children, your little children, it's not really about quality time as much as it is quantity time. If you notice, if you've got babies and toddlers and and younger kids, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. They just want to be around you. They just want to be, you could be sitting around doing nothing. You could be at the grocery store. You know, little little toddlers all want to go, I want to go to the grocery store. It's just Bel Air. Not even on the nice side of town. But as the kids get older, it becomes more about quality time. And by the way, Guys, let me give you a hint. With your wife, same thing. Well, I understand why she says I don't spend any time with her, but I was sitting next to her for six hours while I watched YouTube. You may have been there, but you weren't there. Job says, my children were about me. He said, I made time for my kids. I spent time with my kids. They spent time with me, and I think there was something there that made his kids, even when they were all grown up and they didn't have to, they still wanted to be with their siblings, be with their dad, be with their mom. I'm just trying to help you out. We see here 
Job's parenting. And for some of you, you're older and things didn't work out that way. I'm not trying to beat up on you. The Bible says forgetting those things which are behind. The Bible says you move forward and you just do what you can as a grandparent today, as whatever influence you have. But I am trying to help some of these younger couples. I am trying to help some of these men that may get it in their heads that success means a big house and a lot of money and they uh, don't spend time with their families and lose their family. As a result, and by the way, it's not just business. It happens a lot in ministries as well. Pastors get so busy trying to reach people and grow the church and preach different places that they lose their kids in the process. But Job says, when my children were about me. Go to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, look at verse 15. Proverbs 29, verse 15. The Bible says this, the rod and reproof give wisdom. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his father to shame. Children should not be left to themselves. Now look, don't don't take this to extremes. Obviously, there's times for couples to get away and spend time. My wife and I go on a weekly date night by ourselves. I'm not saying that you can't spend time alone as a couple. Those things are all well and good. But please, mom, Please, Dad, don't parent your children by sitting them in front of a device for hours and hours and hours so they'll leave you alone. And then they become teenagers and they want nothing to do with you and you're scratching your head and saying, I don't understand why they never want to be around me. Well, you never wanted to be around them. Job says, when my children were about me, I spent time with them. I fellowship with them. I love them. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you see Job's secrets to success here. He's a very respectful man. He's a very respected man. But you know what? He helped the helpless. He lived with integrity. He fought the wicked. He spent time with his family. Go back to Job 29. Let's finish this up. We just got to finish up. I'm out of time. All of this is laid on a foundation of the Word of God. There's two things in this chapter that Job refers to that kind of talk to us or Point us back to the Word of God. One is the power of being nourished by the Word of God. The other is the power of being led by the Word of God. I'll point them out to you real quickly and we'll finish up. Job 29, 19. He says, my root was spread out by the waters. Job says, I was nourished in such a way that my roots were spread out by the water. In fact, he says, he's talking about a tree that somehow figured out because trees get their roots down into the earth in search of water. But he said, when a tree can get its roots down and, and get, and get uh, uh, access to a river of water, to a well of water, he says, then that tree, he says, that tree will always have the nourishment it needs. In fact, it doesn't matter how hot it is outside, it always has access to the nourishment, to the cooling. Job says, this is what I was. He said, my root was spread out by the waters and the dew lay all night upon my branch. He said, I always had dew on my branch because my roots were down into the water. You don't have to turn it I'll just read this for you. I'm out of time. Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be, Job, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. 
that bringeth forth his fruit and his season and his leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever you do it shall prosper. Let me tell you something, man. You will never be, and I will never be, a man that people can respect, that they can trust, a man that can fight the Lord's battles and help the helpless while we fail to sink our roots down into the word of God every day. It's not going to happen. I'm too busy to read the Bible. Then you're, then you're too busy to succeed. You will fail. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Job 29, verse 3. Let me give you the other one. Job refers to the fact that he was nourished by the word of God. The apostle Paul said it this way. He said, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You know when your roots are planted down in the word of God, outwardly your whole world could fall apart. Isn't that true about Job? But inwardly, your inward man can be renewed. Every day, when you find your confidence, your strength, your nourishment in the Word of God. Job 29.3, when his candle shined upon my head, he says, and when his light, when, excuse me, when by his light I walked through darkness. Again, a reference to the Word of God. Psalm 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Job says, his light. When by his light, I walked through darkness. He said, I used to walk through darkness and God led me. And then God says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, all these things that Job did, all these things, who he was, they're all connected to his connection to the word of God. And Job became, I think every lady, I think every lady should have a desire to be a Proverbs 31 woman. But I think every man should have a desire to be a Job 29 man. You say, how can I do that? How can I do that? By being nourished and being led by the word of God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for Job 29. Thank you, Lord, for this chapter where Job really just kind of pulls back the veil and gives us some secrets to his success. And Lord, I know I need them. Lord, you know how much my wife and I want our kids to grow up and serve you and do right. Lord, you know how much we want the kids in this church to succeed and to do right. You know how badly we want the moms and dads in this room to succeed. But they're not going to do it while they're distracted on Facebook and YouTube and TV and every other thing and ignoring their children. Lord, I pray you'd help us to have a revival of the family. Help us have men who will one day be able to say when their kids are grown and out of the house, I remember when my kids were about me. Lord, help us to have men who walk with integrity. Help us to have men who get up early and work hard and work to provide for their families. They're not motivated by wealth, but you can trust them with wealth. Lord, help us to have men that, that have earned the respect to speak and have others listen. Help us all, all the men in this room, to be that man. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.